Thank you for joining us online and on your iPhone at the, your lake house or even here this morning. It's good to see you all and to see your pretty faces this morning. Um, I just want to say a word to our um, online community before we get started. I just want to say we love you. We, we're thankful that you are staying with us, that you're watching with us. We have not forgotten you, and we want to make sure that you feel the love of Christ during this time. Um, and uh, we're going to do as much as we can as the body of Christ to continue to love you. If you're not connected with a community group, um, we encourage you to be connected. This is all the more of a reason to be connected during this time, to have that Christ-centered community that you can rely upon, brothers and sisters, in Christ to help you through this process. So, with all that being said, uh, we are blessed to celebrate Memorial Day as those have given their lives for our countries and our freedom. And we also uh, are blessed to uh, be here today uh, live and um, with you, some of our guests this morning. And uh, this is encouraging for me. I hope it's encouraging for you to see faces and to worship the Lord together. Um, it is meant, we are built for that. We are created for that. And thus, in this broken world, we have to have such things as social distancing, but we are created for community. Amen? All right, so we are looking in our series, we are continuing in our series, The Gospel in Life, how the gospel affects every area of our life. Remember, the first three chapters, our Paul is outlining who we are in Christ in the book of Ephesians. And now as a result of the gospel, we live out our faith empowered by the Spirit in every area of our life. Every area of our life is to show, to proclaim this gospel of grace that God has given us in Christ Jesus. And Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit, and he tells us how the response of the filling of the Spirit occurs. It is praise in our mouths and with our hearts giving thanks, thanks and submitting to one another. And this submission to one another, he gives multiple categories of how we can live the gospel out in relationship. You remember, Christ himself humbled himself, giving up his life for you, for me, a sinner an enemy of God, and yet dying on the cross while we were still sinners. And then Paul tells us we are to respond like Christ in our relationships. He tells wives to submit to their husbands as the head, husbands to submit to their wives in sacrificial love, children to submit to their parents in obedience, parents to submit to their children in loving discipline and instruction in the Lord. Now Paul turns to work, specifically dealing with the relationship in work. Here he describes it as the slave and master relationship. 
in mutual submission to one another for the glory of God. The purpose in teaching this passage this morning is to remind the church that our ultimate authority is God. And how we relate to our earthly authorities when it comes to work should reflect the same attitude as that of Christ who humbled himself and gave his life for us. This is the gospel in work. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, if you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, we're turning to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians written to the church in Ephesus. Paul writes this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. In the New Testament, Paul writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. <clears throat> Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. You can be seated. Father, we thank you for giving us this text of Scripture, for the challenge of seeing the gospel displayed in our work through your church. Lord, we come before you knowing that every area of our life is yours. And Father, we specifically pray this morning for our work. Lord, we know that there are those who are without work in our country right now. And Father, we know that a work, our work is a reflection of your nature, of your goodness, of your glory. And we pray, Father, that we would understand this morning the importance of work, the theology behind work, and that we would understand the relationships within work, that we may see how it relates to you and to your gospel and to giving you glory through our work. Lord, challenge us. Speak to us this morning by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Did you know that God actually designed for work to be good? You see, God began work in creation, working six days to create the world in all its splendor, in all its beauty. And then what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. You see, work reflects this activity of God. And thus creating 
something or designing something or one actually reflects God himself or the nature of God when we work or we create or we design. We reflect God's nature in himself, reflecting his image. Why? Because we are created in his image. Genesis 1.31, God reflects upon his work. It says this, and, and God saw everything that he had made, and, and behold, it was very good. It wasn't just good, it was very good. And there was evening and morning, the sixth day. He's reflecting upon his creation of man, masterpiece of his work. He enjoyed his work. Did you know God has designed for us to enjoy our work? In the same way, God created mankind to reflect his glory in their own work. Genesis 2, 15, God designed for Adam to work the garden. This is what it says. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Work was done pre-fall, and it was good. I believe that one day we will work in heaven as it reflects the character and nature of God. We will, we will be accomplishing something. Yet something happens in the garden in rebellion amidst our work. Sin enters in to the realm of work. And Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because they failed to do the job in which God had called them to do, to to protect this garden. They had gone against the command of God to not eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good of evil, and the result is death, the consequence of sin, death entered into the world, sin corrupted our world, God speaks to the woman, he speaks to the serpent, and he speaks to the man, and he gives specific consequences to each, to the woman, he says, you will, be, you will have pain in childbearing, the serpent, you, you'll slither around on your, your belly, to the man, you will work and you will sweat and it will be hard, and there will be thorns and thistles in the ground. No longer will you just have this garden that you're maintaining. You are actually going to have to work, and it will cost you. This is what it says in Genesis three seventeen through 19. And Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it of it all your days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken and for your dust and to dust you shall return. No longer is, do we see our, our work and is joyful and is good and easy. But there's pain and suffering. 
I, I don't think there's anyone here today that's, that's never said, my, my work is never hard, right? Maybe you, you wake up every morning like Emmett Brickowski from the Lego movie singing, everything is awesome, right? Maybe, maybe you're like that. Maybe you're, you're, you're on the positivity scale, but then you realize your boss is Lord Business, right? If you're following along with me in the Lego movie. Or just realize that keeping up your house is a lot of work. Just cleaning out your closet, right, is a lot of work. Uh, One thing I've noticed during this coronavirus is how much work my neighbor puts into his yard, right? Because I can see outside my window while I'm working at my desk. And I mean, he is going after it. And and he's still got little patches that are that are not filled in. It's a result of the fall, right? But simple task. It's not always cupcakes and rainbows. There's stress, frustration, anger, all a part of the workplace. Oftentimes you're sweating, literally, you're sweating by your brow. And in this workplace, there's often relational pain, specifically with the boss and the worker relationship. And this passage reveals that Christ cuts through the brokenness of our world in the area of work and shines the gospel through his people, through his church, amen? The church at work. What a beautiful picture. The church shows the gospel through their work. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, when we, when we see this passage in, in verse five, slaves obey your earthly masters, it jumps out at us. So I, I need to address these, these thoughts here in which Paul is writing. Now, I, our, our minds immediately run to, when we hear the word slaves, it runs to the injustice in our country where many men and women were taken inhumanely from their homes and shipped to America on boats to be sold. This was a horrifying display of the wickedness and the rebellion of man. It is sin. And Paul does not condone slavery here. He does realize that slavery does exist in Ephesus. Approximately 33% of the people at this time in the Roman Empire were slaves. They would sell themselves as servants or slaves either because they incurred debt, they were captives in war, their parents sold them, or they simply needed work. The, the, the type of slavery Paul refers to here was more of an indentured servanthood, a type of voluntary contract. didn't last for a lifetime, and it was certainly not based upon race. It was not human trafficking. 
Let me be clear, human trafficking is against specifically the Bible. It is against God's word. It is against the law of scripture. The Old Testament says this in Exodus 21, 16, whoever steals a man, whether he sells him or is found in possession of him, shall be put to death. In the New Testament, Paul specifically calls out the slave trading in 1 Timothy 1, 8. He says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understand this, that the law is not laid down for just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexual immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers. Liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. In the Old Testament law, it is a fence punishable by death. It is sin. God has created us in his image and each person's life is meaningful. The idea of the freedom from slavery in the Old Testament is is highlighted when God wants to free his people from their bondage and their slavery in Egypt. During the time of Moses, God hears the cry of his people and brings about this great salvation, freeing them from bondage. In the Old Testament, a slave Or this bond servant, someone who held this permanent position of servitude, if they were God's people, if they were the Hebrew people, would only be allowed to serve for six years and then his seventh year he was set free. In the year of Jubilee, after 49 years, all prisoners, all captives, all slaves were released and set free. There were some cases in which these bond servants or these servants wanted to continue to serve in that household because they were treated so well by their master. They wanted to be voluntarily a slave. Exodus 21, 5 describes this process. If a servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. Now Paul takes this thought process of servant for life, a voluntary slave, into the New Testament. And he describes his own relationship to Christ as Paul says, I am a slave to Christ. Doulos, the Greek word, which means one who is subservient to entirely at the disposal of his master, a slave. Paul calls himself this doulos to open his letters to the Philippian church, the Roman church, the Galatian church, and the book of Titus. 
a slave to Christ, sets free from sin, now totally devoted to the Lord in service to him. Paul describes this as the Christian life in Romans chapter 6, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Let me boil it down for you. Set free from the bondage of sin only to become a servant or a bondservant for life to Christ. The Christian life so that we may be sanctified, that we may grow in righteousness and holiness as God intended for us. So in this time in the Roman Empire, there were good masters reflecting Christ, reflecting God. There were harsh and cruel masters. There were traves treated inhumanely. There were bond servants treated as part of the family. Slavery at this time when Paul writes was not based upon race. Some of these slaves were actually highly educated. Most of these slaves had an opportunity to earn their freedom through their work. Downton Abbey, some of you may have seen that show. It's a popular show not too long ago. It was based upon servants that, that served this family in the Downton Abbey. These servants were employed to take care of the home, lived there almost becoming like family to a family living in the house. And they were provided meals, clothes, lodging. They paid them little This gets us a bit closer to the work relationship in application for us in today's world, though difference has some similarities of the employee-employer relationship which we see today. The employee works for the boss who cares for him and her and they're in their providing financially for them, providing retirement for them, providing uh, enough money to have a home, to have a food, to have their own family, an insurance policy, etc. In turn, the employee becomes loyal to the company, works ultimately for someone in authority over them. Longest introduction possible, right? But we get here because we must be clear on the biblical understanding of work and the understanding of the master-slave relationship from a biblical perspective, okay? So we're using words if we don't have the understanding from the whole book and understanding from God's redemptive story, then we don't understand the passage. So 
All that to say, let's get into the passage. Verse five, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. This is our first point this morning. It's thus, live out the gospel in your work. Live it out Live out the gospel in your work. Obedience, again, he just told children to obey their parents. Now he, he, he moves it into the workplace and the authority realm. The obedience is responding correctly to the authority in our life. Ultimately responding to the ultimate authority who is Christ. If you're like me, a sinner in need of a savior, which we all are, sometimes maybe you have struggled with authority in your life. And yet God's design, he has established authority because he is the ultimate authority, okay? He's established it so that we can relate to God. Yes, our authorities are imperfect, our boss is imperfect, our parents are imperfect. These authorities that are in our life, our government is imperfect, and yet we are to relate to them because our God is the ultimate authority. He's designed authority in marriage. He has designed authority in the family, parents over children. He has designed authority in the church, elders over the congregation. He has designed authority nationally. And you have government rulers that are supposed to care for your welfare. Romans 13, that punish the evil and benefit the good. They bear the sword not in vain and you're to follow their direction. But remember, they're imperfect. But one who is perfect is Christ. His authority or his example of leadership is one who sacrifices everything for those under their care. They become a servant leader We'll get to that when we talk about masters. But here, this obedience to the authority put in place with reverence and respect. Why? Because you love Christ. Not because your boss is good. Not because your company is treating you right. But out of respect and love for Christ. You say, Rob, how do, how do I love my boss who is a jerk, who doesn't understand me, who never gives me encouragement? Show him the gospel. Jesus Christ was rejected by his own 
people, by the religious leaders of the day, and yet laid down his life for them. 1 Peter 2.18, Peter subscribes this relationship that is negative in the workplace. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. God is the one who is in the authority. The masters will have to respond to him. The bosses, if you will, they will be held accountable by the Lord God Almighty. But we see this as the opportunity for the gospel to be displayed, not only for your boss, but for your coworkers. When you respect someone who has no business of being respected, when you love sacrificially someone who has no business being loved, when you respond to their hatred and anger in love, it presents the gospel to them on displays for all to see. Some people believe their best way of sharing the gospel in their work is to put up clever Christian statements put up a sign that says, ask about our exchange policy. This is a good one. Ask about our exchange policy. When customers ask, let them know about their actual policy. Then ask if they would like to hear about the greatest exchange policy on the planet, Jesus' righteousness for our sin, right? Some people say, when a customer has paid his bill in full, send an invoice that says paid in full. These were the same words the bloody Jesus spoke on the cross about your sin. These are good right? But how much more impactful for the sinner who doesn't understand the gospel when you respond to your boss like Christ responded upon the cross. Paul's explanation for spirit-filled living in the workplace is to be submissive to those in charge with the right heart attitude and working for the Lord not for man. Yes, it's difficult. That's why he calls us to be spirit-filled, empowered by the Holy Spirit in our workplace. And guess what? Verse six, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. 
These, these people that are, that are serving, that are proclaiming the gospel in their work, they're not doing it just to promote themselves or to get their boss's attention or to do it when no one is watching. They are doing it for the Lord. Lots of, uh, lots of things have happened these last few weeks. Lots of things we've missed out on. One of those things was March Madness. Yes, it is kind of sad. We have missed out. I, I believe OSU might have been the Big 12 champion as they won their only Big 12 tournament game. So um, we'll probably take home that trophy, 2020 Big 12 championship. But anyway, when they started showing March Madness online a few years back, because it happens during the day, it's one of the uh, only uh, sporting events that happened during the day, they had this thing called the boss button. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When you hit this button, instead of seeing the screen with all the games on the screen, it changes to like look like spreadsheets in which you look like you're working on something else. This is what Paul is talking about when it comes to your work. If you're hitting the boss button, because you're spending a lot of your time on Facebook or chatting by the cooler or playing mindless games on your phone, Pretty sure you're not treating your work as serving Christ. Do you take joy in the mundane because you love Christ? When is the last time that you went above what you were supposed to do at your job? When's the last time you asked your supervisor, is there anything that else I can do for you? When is the last time you thought about doing something you weren't asked to do for someone else, even not work-related? A lot of us are working from home right now, and the temptation for us who work from home is to become lazy in our work. And yet, there is this balance because last week I talked about spending time with your children and what not working too much. Rob, where are you? What are you saying here? What is the text of Scripture telling us? The Bible wants us to raise our children in the Lord, full steam ahead, while spinning two plates with a foot and all that. One on your elbow as you spin. And he wants us to work as if we're working for the Lord, not for man. This is why we must be spirit-empowered church. This is why we must be, be, rely upon Christ. We cannot do these things ourselves. We need the gospel daily in our hearts and our minds reflected in our life. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Look at verse six at the end. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. That, that word servants there is actually the same word used in verse five to describe slaves, doulos. Doulos of Christ, people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, 
knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. This is point number two this morning. One's attitude in their work should reflect serving the Lord and not man. Your work is an offering to the Lord. Think of it that way. Your work is an offering to God. Every week I get an opportunity to present my offering to the Lord. At first, as, as I was pastoring and, and learning about pastoring, learning about preaching, I thought my, my offering was to the people of God, right? It's to the church, working hard for them. Yet, I see this, it is an offering to the Lord. My preaching, this is what I do in work. Someone Many people have said through the years, why don't you use old sermons or get your sermons online or why do you spend an extraordinary amount of time on your sermon each week? Don't you have all these other things to do? It's because it's an offering to the Lord. Some people say, you know, well, I wish I was, I could be a missionary and a pastor, a full-time in ministry. Then, then my my work would mean something. And that's not what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus. Your, your work does mean something. You are a servant of Christ. You are a full-time ministry where you are. All the time ministering to the glory of God, whatever you do. It's no different for you who scrub toilets for the glory of God than the missionary in the hut in Africa. You are giving your work to the Lord. You are presenting him an offering. Colossians 3.23, this is one of my favorite verses when it comes to work. It says this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Next time your boss tells you something that you don't necessarily want to do, just remember this is not for him. For the Lord. Christ wants to come and He wants to redeem your work. I don't want to I don't, I don't want to get away from the fact that our world is broken and these relationships oftentimes are poor. But Christ wants to come into that brokenness and He wants to redeem it. He wants to infuse the gospel into people's hearts whether you work for them or they work for you. It changes the attitude. I'm, instead of thinking, I'm working for this paycheck and this money so I can do what I want or go on the vacation that I desire. When can I be done? 
to I'm serving the Lord, I'm thankful for this job and this task that he's given me, and I'm gonna give it all to him. This is also true in the church, in service. If you're tired and you're run down, you're feeling as you're overworked, you're underpaid, respond to the gospel of grace knowing that God sees your work, he knows your heart, and you're not doing it for the recognition, the acclaim, or the money, but for the Lord who sees you and will reward you. I think of all of our people here that serve in extraordinary ways. I think of the many people who have got us online and the hours spent to get us online. I think of people in the parking lots. I think of the the greeters. I think of the nursery workers, the the children's workers, the people that go to Falls Creek, people that cook at Falls Creek. All of these people, the enormous amount of work, they're working as to the Lord, not for man. With joy and satisfaction, Your work is exhausting. Look at it from a different light. Look at it from the light of serving the Lord. Allow the Spirit to fill you to accomplish the task. Pray for God's Spirit to empower you to create, to imagine, to finish, to endure for His glory. And He says, He will reward you. He will reward you. He is the final paymaster. A missionary couple was returning home from the mission field after 40 years of working in Africa. Think about that. 40 years of their life serving in the hot jungle of Africa. And they come home on the same ship as Teddy Roosevelt, the Teddy Roosevelt, who'd gone to Africa for one or two weeks for a big game hunt, right? To go hunt some animals. And when they returned, there were thousands of people lined up at the New York Harbor to welcome back Tessie Roosevelt from his hunt. The missionary couple standing there going, I've come back 40 years from serving the Lord faithfully and no one's here to greet me. That's what they said in the taxi ride to their hotel. We give 40 years of our life. He goes over there and kills some animals and the whole world takes notice. They seem to get down on their knees and pray in that hotel room. They pray to the Lord, what, what, what do you want from us? And he seemed to say to them, do you know why you haven't received your reward yet, my children? It's because you're not home yet. God will give us a reward. He will receive back from the Lord whether he is slave or free. Verse nine, masters do the same to them and stop your threatening know that, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. This is point three this morning. Use your authority in your work to serve those in your care. 
This is the bosses, this is the masters, this is the people in which God has placed into the authority, the government, teachers, whoever this may res- res- respond to. Use your position to reflect the gospel to those in your care. Jesus did this. I almost quote this verse every single Sunday. And I don't know if it's because the Lord has given it to me specifically or if he's given it to our church. I am not sure. But he puts this in the sermon almost every single week. It's Matthew 20, 25. But Jesus called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Church, that is Christ's leadership. That is what it looks like to parents in your home. That's what it looks like to be a teacher in school. That's what it looks like to be a, a, in the political realm. That's what it looks like to be a leader in the church. He did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. This is masters. And he gives a warning here to those who have authority. In the New Testament will talk about not many of you should be teachers because they will have to face a greater judgment. And he's talking about those in the church. That's why I spend an enormous amount of time looking at this text because there is one who is the master in heaven. No matter how much authority, no matter how much power, no matter how many people you have working underneath you, there is one greater. There is an ultimate authority that you will be accountable. He is the judge and he will repay. And then God says, there is no partiality with him. He plays no favorites. He doesn't care who your family is. He doesn't care how much money you got. He doesn't care all of these things. What race you are, what background you're coming, how much your education level is. He doesn't care. He shows no partiality. He says, I am going to judge and I will repay. In this life, there will always be favorites. There will be those who get the job because they know someone or they're from a wealthy family or they play the game. There will be some workers who are in positions of authority, not because they worked hard, but because of external factors, and yet God shows no partiality. He plays no favorites. The lowest worker in the church, if he is glorifying God in his work, God sees him and is pleased and will reward him. You think of the story of Lazarus and the rich man, right? Lazarus 
Is this poor man, the, the dogs are licking the sores because he, he, he is outside of the gate of this rich man eating his garbage, his crumbs from his table. And he sits outside of his gate and this rich man sits in his own property in opulence, eating whatever he wants, desiring whatever he wants with many servants and, and all of these things in great authority, and then Jesus flips it. He says, this poor man, Lazarus, he's now in heaven. This rich man who had nothing is in torment, and all he wants is one drop of water. He's not yet home. But when he does come home, there's a big celebration for Lazarus. He has nothing on this earth. Yeah, he has everything in heaven. We must remember to reflect the glory of God in our work. Because our work is for him.